Welcome to Speaking of Strong Style, where we discuss the news, issues, and events surrounding New Japan Pro Wrestling. I am Stephen Conway. With me, as always, Jeremy Finestone, and we are contributors to the Fight Game Media Network. So on today's show, we're going to be talking about both nights of NJPW Strong Independence Day, which took place from Corican Hall, both on the 4th and the 5th. So we have uh, two really fun shows to talk about. We're going to get into what happened uh, a little bit about Fantastica Mania as some of the New Japan stars headed to Mexico for Fantastica Mania. And uh, we'll talk about Yuji Nagata as well. He had some news this past week and also a little bit about our newly returned from excursion uh, stars and what New Japan had in mind for them. So uh, with that Three in mind... Well, definitely not Three Amigos on that one. <laughs> not Three Amigos. And so uh, I want to say hello to Colin watching live right there. And we have a programming note, Jeremy. Um, before we get to those things and what's some of the in-ring action, we want to talk a little bit about what's going on with our show. Speaking of strong style, uh, some uh, some movement, some changes, and, and a few things going on there. So why don't you yeah, uh, tell the folks about it? All right. So... We started out, Stephen Conway and I, about a year ago, back in May, and we had a vision of a show, and we pitched it to the Fight Game Media group. And the group thought, hey, this is going to be a great idea for YouTube. And so Stephen and I, fresh out the gate, pups in, in the podcasting world, uh, put together this YouTube show. And as you can see, we have grown and learned our craft with some audio and visual cues and uh, understanding each other and, and just general things. So as we're doing this, Fight Game Media is going through some changes as well. Uh, Fumi Saito and Justin Nippert write that down. Classic show covering all of Japan is no longer going to be providing regular episodes for the network. So we were asked if we would pivot to moving to an audio format foregoing the live aspect of this show and we agreed so going forward this is going to be our last live normal episode of the show on youtube we will be moving permanently to thursday morning drops on the fight game network audio feed you will get the same content from us but in addition to that we will be coming back with regular video episodes for big events such as Wrestle Kingdom, Dominion, and the G1 Finals. So we will be back in a month to do a live episode of this show. And we are going to continue to provide this content. We are excited for this change, but we are disappointed that we are losing the live aspect of this weekly. We thought it was a awesome component of the show, and we wanted to make sure that we return to that and advertise it regular when we do do so so that is the plan and steven do you have any thoughts about this well, i just wanted to say that the live aspect was the toughest part when we were talking about this mm -hmm. for me anyway i get such energy out of the interaction that comes from our audience and i think we have such a smart crowd that watches us and interacts with us so i really get a lot of energy i feel like it makes the show better so uh, it was something that we really talked about. And one of the things we really wanted to do was make sure we would have these regular live shows here on YouTube for the big events. Because moving, we're going to be recording the show, for instance, Jeremy and I are going to record the show on Wednesdays. It'll drop Thursdays. And uh, you might see some clips here and there of uh, some things that we're talking about. But, you know, for the most part, we'll be on the Fight Game Media uh, podcast feed. So 
and, and uh, you know, you'll be able to hear the show all the places you hear it now. You'll be able to see the show, you know, see the show in clips. Uh, but we really wanted to keep that live aspect because we enjoy it so much. So a yes. big part of what we wanted to do was keep uh, live things. And so since we're recording on Wednesdays going forward, we thought, hmm, weekend big shows to Wednesday is a long time. That's a perfect opportunity to do a live show. Uh, and, uh, it, it, and it was perfect time to do a live show and interact with folks and talk about the big events right there. And uh, we're really going to miss the live aspect of it. That was one thing that uh, I, w I really enjoy, but uh, this is something that uh, is, I think is going to be good for the show. I think it's going to help us uh, get in front of uh, some more uh, some more ears. And uh, we are looking forward to that part of it. Man, we're going to miss doing this thing live every week. So there are three people that I would like to thank for being constant pillars of our live audience crowd. First and foremost, yeah. the day one are Colin Matthew. Colin yeah. Matthew, I just want to thank you for always showing up and showing out and making sure you were here. It warmed my heart to see you coming back and back and back. It made me feel like I was doing something right. So <laughs> I wanted to thank you for that. And uh, we will try and make sure and make clear when we are going live. The second is Brad Ryder, who has been a huge advocate and fan of us and has shouted us from the rooftops in many places. Thank you, Brad Ryder. And the last one is uh, Michael Miguel. Miggy Rubio, who has been showing up and showing out as well. I appreciate all the support that you have shown in coming to these live shows. And thank you to everyone else. I know Flaming Shark comes to mind and a few yeah, others. Uh, just, I did not forget when you guys showed up. And I was mm. very, very appreciative of what you did. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and keep in mind, the show that we do, the, the audio podcast, is going to be on the Fight Game Media Network. It's going to be just like what we do here. Uh, unfortunately, <clears throat> won't be able to go back and forth with you guys, but uh, we're not changing the format of the show or the style of the show. Uh, we're going to keep uh, talking about New Japan, running down the events, going over our thoughts on directions and angles and who's going to be challenging who for what titles and all the stuff we normally do now. Yeah. Throw in a little history when we can. It's uh, it's going to be the same thing, just going to be in a different spot. And uh, so we would appreciate it if you guys followed us over there. And of course, uh, you know, please interact with us on we're both on Twitter. You know, we're happy to uh, hear your thoughts and we enjoy YouTube hearing those comments thoughts. we're paying attention to. There is oh, a yeah. dedicated channel for Speaking of Strong Style in the Fight Game Media Discord. You can Whatever email Garrett Gonzalez, Garrett Gonzalez at fightgamemedia.com. Step in, step out. You are welcome anytime. If you'd like an invite, we'd love to have you there. Uh, is there anything else to add to that? Should we uh, get back into the blood and guts? Yeah, we should go back into it because we had a couple of very, very interesting shows at Cork and Hall the last couple of days. And so we're going to cover night one and then night two. And I think that's important. Night one might be, or night two might be more recent. But I felt like this show, these shows, were specifically put together to flow from one to the other. These were not self-contained units. These, it was a package deal. It was. It really was. And, of course, for one price, you can get both on New Japan World. So uh, one price, you get both shows. And it felt like uh, a two, two chapters. And a lot of the matches from night one flowed into night two. And, uh, okay, and we do have a question that I did want to, when will it go up on the Fight Game Media Patreon? It'll be in the free feed. It's going to be in the regular feed. So if you subscribe to uh, the Fight Game Media podcast feed, uh, it'll drop on Thursday. We're now the Thursday show on there. Just it'll like be the, your Thursday evening, Colin. Uh, yes, that's Friday true. He's morning. in Scotland. That's right. Yeah, it's going to yeah, be your yeah. Thursday evening, Friday morning. It'll go up. 
typically midnight, 1 a.m. Pacific time-ish. I, I know that it gets curated late at night and then dropped in the middle of the night. Well, he's about to say, okay, so it'll be Thursday. And so if it drops at midnight, Colin will probably get that Thursday morning. Yeah. So if it's coming in on if it's coming in like a Thursday about midnight Pacific, that would be I think they're eight or nine hours. Ahead. So Thursday daytime for you. Or, yeah, uh, Thursday I daytime. would just it'll be around and it'll yeah. be a day old. Yeah, and it'll be you know we'll we'll probably do the thing Wednesday evening and it'll drop Thursday. It'll drop it only it'll drop a couple of hours after we do it. Really, yeah. just a few hours after we do it. And uh, especially with the time change in Japan, we should have all the news in by then <laughs> that's the idea anyway that's how we're trying to time it of course anything can happen with some of that stuff but uh as we have learned every time we think we're having a quiet week not so much uh so yeah uh, it'll probably come out uh for the folks in the uk probably thursday morning midday ish somewhere in there so uh yeah uh so there we go with uh independence day night one cork and hall 1433 folks came in packed the place really and well, cool it, out What's that now? Was it sold out? Brad Ryder was, wanted to know in the Discord, was this the largest crowd at Corican since the lifting of the restrictions? That's a great question. That's, that's a great question. I'm going to double check that right now because I can look that up. Uh, okay. I'm going to look that up. Brad, but, uh, I got you, buddy. Well, there were 1401 on Wednesday, 1433. But, they, you know, it's a lot of that standing, uh, standing uh, room only. It was packed. Okay. I... There was a show. When was this? Strong Style Pro Wrestling uh, uh, got fourteen hundred fifty nine in in June. I'm looking up this and Best of the Super Juniors had fourteen thirty six. Day eight of the Best of the Super Juniors had fourteen. And oh, and here we go. You know what? The best crowd at Corican Hall since the pandemic was Hemica's retirement ceremony at Stardom. Well, there you go. Stardom. So there you go. On May 14th, Hemeka, the last Jumbo Princess, Hemeka's retirement ceremony, 1,509. And that is the largest crowd uh, at Corican since the pandemic. But this is close. Uh, this is darn uh, close. Well, so there you go. Thank you for uh, wrestlingdata.com for that right there. So I wouldn't have uh, known where to look. So <laughs> yeah, they have that. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's been a really strong week. Uh, for instance, the uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the All Japan Summer Action Series show because Yuji Nagata was on it. Uh, that one drew one thousand forty-seven. Uh, so four hundred more uh, for the New Japan shows uh, over the course of the weekend. So again, they do a little bit of standing room only now. That's relatively new or relatively uh returned anyway that was something they didn't do for a long time now they're doing it again and uh yeah it was because uh, they go up in the balconies those balconies up there you can they have standing room only up in the balconies and that's used to be where the real rabbit rabid fans were that was that was the place to go if you were a real nut job up there but they were all through the building in this one this was a hot crowd and uh, colin mentions it here from the videos he saw on twitter the crowd was hot for both nights yeah they were and they were into a lot of things and it was a different kind of crowd wasn't it jeremy it oh my was gosh it was it was a crowd that was into everything from the U.S. They yes. chanted a lot in English. Yes. Uh, you know, there were this is awesome chants. There were holy shit chants. There uh, were a couple others that I'm going to mention when the time comes to get to it that I thought were a little humorous. They had a little cheekiness to them. They were certainly into June Kasai big. They were uh, really excited to see him. You are underselling were, that. You are completely yeah. underselling. The he was reaction really of the fans in Corican Hall. For a New Japan show, the reaction was unlike anything that I have ever seen on a New Japan show for a native Japanese star that hasn't set foot 
in Japan. They were stomping. They were yelling. They were enchanting in unison. They were hot for June yeah. Kasai. Like yeah, I was, was unprepared for how popular June Kasai was. Yeah, yeah, it was it was something else, and uh, just a a bit of a boisterous atmosphere in there. It was very definitely different than a New Japan. They were excited about seeing some of the American guys and Eddie Kingston. They were into him. They knew Lance about Archer. him. They understood his story. Lance, of course, too. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, definitely an interesting crowd there. And uh, they brought it right from the very beginning. And uh, should we just start going through the matches now? Or is yeah, there anything I, else uh, I got them set up top to bottom, night one, night two. Let's do it. It was a bit of a reset for NJPW Strong. And uh, we'll get into why in a little while. But uh, things had drifted away a little bit i think from their mission and i think this was a big course correction these two nights and it started off with uh, some independent wrestlers on the card uh, in a dark match it was oscar loibe yo and ryusuke taguchi against kengo dragon libre and takahiro katori now let's talk about takahiro katori real briefly here jeremy uh this was a guy who came out with uh, uh you know dark hair but with red tips he had a kind of a flamboyant costume. He was carrying a stuffed animal. This was a bunny. Okay. It wasn't it wasn't Daryl. <laughs> wasn't Daryl, but boy, there's this a looks, lot. I was fake was, out. He's he was quote unquote influenced by Hiromu Takahashi. I would say. I I have to tell you, this is the first match of the first show, and I'm like, I'm not scouring the card for who's on it. So when I look up and I see this dude coming out with the hair with a stuffed animal. And kind of a jean jacket look. I'm like, what did Hiromu do? That's not Hiromu. <laughs> That's not Hiromu. I was faked out so hard by this. And uh, he is... He is definitely inspired by Hiromu Takahashi. <laughs> he's, he's not Hiromu, but he wouldn't have his feelings hurt if he thought he were. He's Hiroyu. Hiroyu. <laughs> So that was it, Katori. And so he comes out with a stuffed bunny, which, of course, he's in there with Taguchi. So Taguchi tries to kidnap the bunny and ends up doing so. And uh, the, the bunny ended up uh, stuffed in uh, Taguchi's tights, uh, not in a lascivious way, but it was there, and he just kind of ran off of it. But, uh, you know, I, the other thing I noticed about Oscar Loibe in this match is that he's starting to fill out a little bit. He's not as wiry as he used to be, starting to starting to bulk up. And uh, looks terrific. Again, the fire from this guy, I, I think he's really good. And uh, in the end, uh, Yo beat Dragon Libre, who's a smaller masked wrestler. Again, these guys Dragon Libre. For... Well, <laughs> that that the... translates to the free dragon, by the way. The, the free dragon. And I don't mean free as in he doesn't cost anything. I, mean, I think free, about free Dragon Lee in... in NXT, and then I think about Dragon Libre, and I was just like, and uh, next, I on independently i wouldn't even bat an eye but when you have the hiromu clone right next to the dragon lee clone i just yeah. i just made me laugh that like freedom freedom has a ton of talented wrestlers but they are not really working too hard in identifying the gimmick that will set them apart by the way dragon lee Bray looked pretty good in this match I, mean, so was I think he was a standout of those three right there although uh, katori just had a, an interesting presentation doing the hiromu act there so uh yeah Oh, okay. All right. And Colin says he's already in the Discord, by the way. Great. You'll have to tell me what it is. <laughs> I mean, I'm aware of what Discord is. I just don't, I don't, I don't. He's playing the gimmick, guys. <laughs> I, play, I, I know what Discord is. I just don't, I just don't get on it. Uh, let's see. Where are we here? Oh, yes. Uh, well, the first match of the first show, Bad Dude Tito. Uh, Big Teats back in uh, with TMDK, and he faced the DKC. 
So TMDK, DKC, we're doing all the acronyms here. Now, uh, DKC sold really well in this match. This was one of the better versions of him I've seen in a minute. Of course, this was all about Bad Dude Tito's power moves. That's what this was about. It's about to get him over. And they were pretty spectacular. He is a really strong guy, and he does it very well. He has a lot of charisma. There are two guys on this show, Royce Isaacs, who was part of Team Filthy, and Bad Dude Tito from TMDK, who really distinguished themselves during the G1 last year. They were in the preview tags and uh, weren't in the tournament, but really showed up and did some really good work on the undercards. It was good to see Tito back here, and he looked good again. He has a Steiner screwdriver now for a move. Looked terrific. Lots of power moves. DKC, I've been critical in the past, but he sold for this guy terrific. His offense looked good enough that I thought that it looked like Tito had to overcome something to win this thing. Uh, and uh, I still don't like those open-handed karate chops. I just don't think they look good from DKC, but there weren't a whole lot of that. And everything else he did look fine. So I got really no complaints about this one. I think what we're seeing is that the time spent by the uh, North America-based New Japan wrestlers, the more time that they actually spend in the New Japan ring with the – in in that area of it, they come back markedly better when they go back to North America. And so Roy Isaacs, Bad Dude Tito, the DKC, even Lawler, they have all upped their game after the time that they spent uh, on their tours in Japan. And now that we're getting more and more of these guys, Cobb, Coughlin, you know, Connor, the Driller, the Drilla, all these guys are just leaps and bounds is all I can say. It's like the improvements that I'm seeing in them are leaps and bounds from like, watch a DKC match from a year ago. Just go to strong, like find a, find a free match on YouTube or whatever. It's a different wrestler. And that's the best thing I can say about him. Up next, we have team filthy, J.R. Kratos, Royce Isaacs, the aforementioned and Jarrell Nelson facing Lance Archer, Alex Zane and uh, Ryohei Oiwa, young lion there. So, this match was all built around getting J.R. Kratos and Archer in the ring together. Now, there was a little thing about J.R. Kratos, who showed up with an extra head. And what I mean by that is he had a massive hematoma on his forehead. We don't know where it came from. Uh, I, we're not sure how it happened. But he showed up with this big hematoma and a bandage on his head. And this thing was hanging in for dear life almost the all the way through the all golf balls on somebody's head. And he rolled uh, through a uh, move where he's supposed to overpower Ryohei Oiwa and come up with him, and it split open right there and just started gushing blood. And it uh, took him kind of out of the match a little bit right there. But he did manage to get some stuff in with Archer. And Zane and Archer worked really well together, which led to something the following night, uh, including an interesting move where he chokeslammed uh, Zane, Alex Zane. However, when he when Zane went up, he flipped over backwards, and Archer let go, thus becoming a choke slam using Archer's height to get a moonsault onto the way a fallen opponent, which is different. I hadn't seen that before, and uh, it turned out there was a reason they were doing a lot of teamwork together, which uh, it showed up on night two. I thought Jarrell Nelson looked really good in this match. He did. And, uh, yeah, 10 minutes, 26 seconds, and, uh, yeah, in the end, of course, Team Filthy ended up getting the victory. And uh, Oiwa ended up taking the fall there, of course. That's why the young lion was in the match and uh, all to get things ready to go for the next night. How about fortunate blood for J.R. Kratos? He didn't get to do the match the night before, but he explained in commentary that he gets a cut on his head before he gets on the flight to Japan. 
He mm-hmm. gets on the flight, and during the flight, this thing just expands to the size of a tennis ball. Oh, my God, when you're seeing it. So he continues to wrestle the match with this five bandages taped over this thing, just trying to keep it together. He's doing all of his moves. He does a powerbomb on Ryohei Oiwa, and there's a kick out. And he does his roll through instead of awkwardly getting back up. He's a 300-plus-pound man with all the weight of his body on the on his head, mm-hmm. and he just pops that thing like an abscess. And it just explodes. Mm. And it probably for the best for the amount of blood. I'm going to show it real quick. We can't do it for too long because we're we're not family friendly, but we're also not trying to piss people off. There you go. Just absolutely covered in blood. Uh, That's his own blood from his forehead because the man is a beast. He came (laughs) off looking like a beast. He came off looking like a monster. And people ask me, like, hey, how did that match go? And I explained it to him. They're like, oh, that's too bad. I'm like, I don't know if it is because he looked great. Going into what we mentioned about Royce Isaacs and Bad Dude Tito and, of course, DKC, uh, Jeff, uh, Jeff Bugenhagen, I think I pronounced that right. I would say that about any wrestler who does a Japan tour, male or female, they always come back so much better. Absolutely agree. You know, when you work with that caliber of workers every single night, whether it's with Stardom, uh, TJPW, uh, or any of the big three in Japan right there, you are going to definitely improve and learn a few things. So uh, absolutely, absolutely correct. Yeah. They, it, it is a great way to improve and it seems like it happens every time that uh, uh, Jesse Kamea, can I mention that very quickly is might be the best example that she was with NXT for a long time and never really got better and was certainly athletic. Uh, was, I believe was a volleyball player before she got into wrestling and you know, certainly an athlete. And at NXT, it just never quite clicked. Well, she went over and did 90 days. She was there for three months at Stardom and wrestling with uh, Club Venus every night, wrestling the women in Stardom right there. And by the end of that tour, she was so much better than she was at the beginning after having been in NXT for years without getting better. And uh, it just shows you that if you if you keep your mind open, pay attention and and learn over there, you'll come back a better wrestler. It's Sometimes just- it just takes a better approach to get things to click. And, you know, the... The factory approach in NXT doesn't work for everybody, as we've seen. You know, some people yeah. pick it up, some people don't. But the talent is always there. Talent is there. And we have next Tom Lawler, speaking of talent, <laughs> facing Kosei Fujita in a really fun match. Now, Lawler was all dolled up for the 4th of July. He came out in a full red, white, and gear, red, white, and blue gear that Hacksaw Duggan would have been proud of. Uh, really, all he needed was a, a cooler full of beer, a box of fireworks, and a set of lawn darts. And he had a 4th of July party right there. Uncle and, Sam Lawler. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it, he was decked out, and it, it carried over in the night, too, but he wrestled uh, Kosei Fujita. It was a really good match. Fujita's terrific. Uh, Lawler has been absolutely snake-bitten. We've talked about what kind of rotten luck he's had lately. Here he gets a really good match on a fun show with a good crowd, and I thought it was a little bit of justice right there. Of course, Lawler got the victory via... Uh, I believe it was a tap out over uh, Fujita in that one, but uh, fun stuff. Fujita's talented as hell, and Lawler gets to shine a little. Lawler cut a tremendous backstage promo afterwards uh, that you can find on New Japan World and maybe YouTube as well, where he just he talked about all the things that went wrong with him and how he was coming back from it and he wasn't going to let it stop him, and that he was on a path of destruction and domination, all those things. It was it was a very fiery promo, and I'm really happy to see him uh, reinvigorated and fired up uh, despite having a number of setbacks. 
Colin mentions Janai Kai is doing a couple of shows with Glate. Oh, that's cool. That, 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 I think that could really be a, a help for both uh, ends of that. And to go back to our point, Jeff has another example here. Mariah May, perfect example. Boy, she's been a revelation, hasn't she? I only knew of hers. Uh, Zoe Lucas's tag partner before a Club Venus run. Now I'm a huge fan of hers. Uh, yeah, boy, she has. She can do everything. She her, she has her character down. She's uh, really wrestling well. She can talk. Uh, there's really nothing that Mariah can't do right now. And I don't think uh, very many people knew about her before the stardom run, but she's been great. And again, another example of, of uh, Japanese uh, work helping. And, uh, and he says, I'll go back and talk about Masha and her time in Marvel. It's really changed her for the better. She came back so much better. It, there's really something to be said, isn't there, for going elsewhere and learning a different style. And it's a little bit like learning a foreign language. The best way to do is to immerse yourself in it. Well, if you go to Japan, you don't really have a choice to you to be but to be immersed in the, the wrestling culture over there. And I, I wonder sometimes if you're staying home in Orlando and you're, you're home every night and, you know, you're working out and you're in there with good coaches, but uh, perhaps just that immersion into a different style uh, opens your mind maybe uh, up uh, to, to new things and makes you a more well-rounded competitor. So uh, yeah, that, that's some uh, excellent examples right there. Definitely. Uh, Eddie Kingston and Rocky Romero were in the next match. They were up against Kenta and ghetto. So you can guess what happened here. Of course, get question Jujur for you. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Is Eddie Kingston popular in Japan? <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. Now I was blown away by the fact that this was Eddie Kingston's first match in Corican hall. Corican Hall seems to be the one place that everybody's worked from time to time. And Eddie's been to Japan before, but it was with, as, as Chris Charlton mentioned, his first was with Osaka Pro. Well, the name name's right there. It's they're based in Osaka. Uh, and he didn't wrestle in Corican Hall until uh, July 4th, amazingly enough. So you could see that he was really excited about this and that this meant a lot to him. And the crowd was thrilled to see him there and, and to get to this point. So again, it's a crowd that was following the American side of the product. There's, these people understood what AEW was. They understood certainly what NJPW Strong was. And they knew what all this meant to Eddie because they really reacted nicely. And Eddie was a little visibly moved when he got an Eddie chant uh, going right there. Uh, Rocky Romero's fabulous wrestler. Uh, he was this, But this match was about putting Eddie over and getting him a win going into his title match yes. the day before. He did it with a spinning back fist on Ghetto, who, of course, did Yeoman's work of... Uh, protecting all of his guys from having to do jobs so he does them his uh, his own damn self and uh, nice match a uh, a good preview for the next night and a, a really good debut for and a meaningful debut for eddie kingston and cork and hall and if you're keeping notes at home they did or eddie did in fact have his elbow wrapped up to sell the injury that yes. Claudio gave him last week on AEW Dynamite. The continuity was not forgotten, and they're going to pick that back up because that elbow played a big deal in his matches over these two days. Jeff mentions that he cried for Eddie. He loves that man so much, and I'm so happy for him. Yeah, we are too. You know, the thing about Eddie is he's just so genuine. And his post-match promo talking about his parents and how they believed in him and how, you know, he was dedicating all this to them. He saw his first new Japan match when he was 13 years old and was captivated has wanted to do this ever since. And I believe him, you know, like we've mentioned that it seems like every MJF promo is about how I, you used to be my hero and then you did something nasty to me and now I'm, you're not anymore. And it's, 
kind of you know rinse and repeat with his feuds. I believe Eddie when he says that he saw his, he remembers that he saw his first match when he was thirteen, and he had always wanted to work for New Japan and Cork, and it came through. He was really thrilled to be there. Eddie Kingston is the Japanese pro wrestling dork that is also <laughs> the same guy that Bruce Springsteen sings about in his blue collar songs. He's the same guy in this case. <laughs> he just he, has he's fun, the everyman hero. He just has a fun way of, of acting in the ring, too. I loved when he wanted Kenta to start the match, right? And he wanted, of course, he wants the champion that he's going to challenge. And Kenta's doing the heel thing where he hesitates about locking up and then tags without any contact. And Eddie is just kind of annoyed by this, but then he's just like, all of a sudden, he's like, yeah, yeah, okay, Ghetto, come on. And he's just like, as Ghetto is trying to play this cool, it's like, ha, 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 we're going to make you wait. All of a sudden, Eddie's over there, like, holding the ropes open for Ghetto. No, yeah, please, sir, let's go. I'm going to kick the crap out of somebody. It might as well be you. you know, and like, it, Get in line. The line starts here. <laughs> Up next, we had our women's tag match. This is the preview for a title match the following night. Willow Nightingale and Momo Kogo. Uh, Momo is from uh, Stardom. She's part of the Stars faction there. Willow Nightingale, of course, from AEW, facing uh, two more folks from Stardom. That is Donna Del Mundo duo of Julia and Tecla. I love how NJPW Strong has kept a little bit of continuity with these women's matches. And what I mean by that is you have two new people who haven't been on strong before new people. I mean, you know, Julia has been a star for a while. Uh, Tecla has become one with Donna Del Mundo. She's terrific uh, Austrian uh, wrestler there. And, but they hadn't been on NJPW strong before. And they bring in Momo Kogo who has been on a strong show She's before. And it's right? always there. They're always using one person to come back and then, somebody that we've seen before, and then that person kind of introduces new people into the mix. I think it's a really smart way, because I felt like if it's always new people and the next show is for different new people, next show is for different new people, does anyone really stand out? Yeah. But this builds so, a little continuity. So Momo was one of the four tournament finalists in the resurgence tournament that Willow yeah. ended up winning the title. Yeah, she and, and Willow met in the first round. Yes. Yeah, she and Willow met in the first round. Yeah. Yes. And then, yeah, exactly. so, and of course, Julia and Tecla are tag team partners, in fact, are uh, two thirds of the artist of stardom uh, trios champions there. So that's it. And so this was, uh, this was fun. Uh, you can see Rossi Ogawa in the background as Donna Del Mundo came out. That's the guy that uh, runs stardom, used to own it before he sold the Bushy Road. Uh, you also uh, had a good response for these two. There were fans in that crowd that were very, very excited for the stardom duo. And uh, Willow, uh, at one point, you know, the whole thing is that Willow is a powerhouse. At one point, she pressed Momo, who was very small. Uh, Momo, from the second row, pressed her over her head and threw her onto the Donna Del Mundo team. That got a nice pop. You know what that's called? That's Go called ahead. the fastball special. The fastball special. Yeah, okay. that was actually something that they did in the X-Men comic books back in the 70s, where Colossus would throw Wolverine at opponents and go, Look to the fastball special. So they had Willow throw Momo like the fastball special. And I yeah. was like, yay, I am in it. <laughs> there you go. That just all your worlds coming together beautifully. It really there did, for a my moment. friend. It really did. Yeah, I'm so happy. Uh, yeah, this is a terrific match. Everybody got a little shine out here. This was very good. Uh, Nightingale ended up winning with a powerbomb on Tekla. Uh, but that got the champion over, which they needed to do because uh, of what was going to happen the next night. And I like seeing Tekla get a spot here. She's really good. 
And uh, like I mentioned, uh, you know, we had some uh, folks that have been on the show before and then some folks that are interesting uh, that are new. And let's see here. We got uh, some more comments about this. I love how Jeff says, I love how uh, they used Momo to help sell Willow in this match because she faced Willow. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Again, just really smart way of putting together a card and introducing characters uh, little by little. And uh, Colin mentions when the tag lead starts, they should pair Willow and Momo up. I'd love to see Willow do a tour with uh, with Stardom right there. I, I, what uh, Jeremy and I have been hoping for is that Tony wakes up and realizes what he has and keeps her in AEW and pushes her hard. But if he's not going to do that, yeah, Stardom, I'd love to see that. So, so with all of this aside, I want to give a shout out to the Power Bomb Show because they put a clip up on YouTube this mm -hmm. past week talking about Willow uh, and her momentum, how she should win the Owen and beat Athena, even though Athena has a 28 to 30 win. She's trying to get to 30 wins in Ring of Honor as a streak. That may not apply in the Owen AEW tournament. So given the trajectory of Willow here, I certainly hope that her momentum is upward and she gets a uh, strong pin uh, over Athena going into the Saturday on collision. Jeff also mentions Tekla is super underrated. She should have a white belt, that wonder of stardom title. Yeah, that would be a good spot for her. I don't think she's ready for the world yet. And I, I see you mentioned specifically that uh, wonder belt, which is sort of the stardom version of the intercontinental title. It's held by Mirai right now, uh, who uh, just defeated Tam Nakano. Tam Nakano was a double champion for a while. And uh, she just took the white belt off of her. Tekla would be a terrific challenger for that. Tekla was a. Thekla was a revelation uh, for someone who's never really seen her before. And mm, good. Uh, Julia, let's, let's just be clear. If you've never seen Julia before, she was the best wrestler in that ring. And it was no. a, a distant, like, first from second, third, fourth. Like, she's amazing. When, and, when you put Julia in a big match, in a big moment against a really good opponent, she is uh, truly one of the better workers, male or female. Not only that, in the, in the, the way business. she carries herself in the yes. ring, like the the aura that she has and the vibe that she gives off, she is everything as advertised. Yeah. If you just watch entrances only, not matches right there, you'll pick out Julia as probably the biggest star. Yes. It's, like she and just she, has does, that. she projects it upon everybody else it is not it is not like she's getting extra she is just like vibing at an exponential rate <laughs> yeah. yeah and as jeff said that's not a slight yeah. against anyone else in the match she's a megastar yeah true all right but and that led to the more for them the next night and we are moving on to this one here as we get through these shows we're going to the first title match of the night the strong open weight tag team title match this is the bullet club war dogs alex coglin gabriel kidd against bishamon the uh, erstwhile chaos team of Hiroki Goto and Yoshihashi. It went 12 minutes and 18 seconds. So sort of a sprint for uh, an IWGP type of title match. But boy, was it good. Uh, th this was a lot of fun. The War Dogs jump-started them uh, off the bat, and it was all War Dogs early. This was an absolute beatdown by <laughs> Kid and Coughlin. Uh, at one point, Kid and Goto were getting medieval with each other on a slap-and-chop exchange in the ring that just looked brutal. And both teams were very, very crisp. Both teams uh, just had a nice rhythm going through this one. They knew they weren't going long, so they could go quickly. But they didn't rush, if that makes any sense. It was it was fast, but it was not hurried. 
And uh, Bishamon had a rally that looked really good. They even had uh, the guys set up for the Shoto. And I didn't think that anyone was going to break it up for just a split second there. And I thought, oh, wow, all right, we might get a finish right here. But he was indeed uh, cut off. Uh, they were indeed cut off before they could hit the Shoto. There was a chair spot, though, where Yoshiho Yaha Yoshihashi, I'll try that again, <laughs> Yoshihashi, uh, was rolling up Gabriel Kidd. Kidd kicked his legs out and kicked him off. And Yoshihashi went into the ropes. Alex Coughlin was waiting outside with the steel chair and whacked him as he hit the ropes, which takes a little bit of timing and was done well. Uh, and that was the beginning of the end after that. The War Dogs got their rally in, double muscle buster on Yoshihashi, which looked terrific. And uh, then they call it the hijack pile driver. We have a name for this thing now. It's a spike pile driver. Uh, where uh, one guy pile drives him, obviously. The other guy jumps off the ropes and, and quote-unquote, assists. It, it's not the most amazing finisher. It reminds me of, like, Demolition in the 1980s, the way that they would do something together. Not not a, not a coordinated effort other than just a blunt force impact, yeah. and I'm going to help you drive him into the ground. <laughs> and uh, they got the pinfall and won the NJPW Strong Openweight titles. Of course, the deal here is they were going to be face facing each other on each night of Independence Day, the first night with the NJPW Strong titles on the line, the second night with the IWGP titles on the line. Bishamon coming in as double champions. They beat down Yoshiashi after the match to really soften the guys up for the next night. Both of them were laid out with belt shots, so things were looking pretty bleak for Bishamon after this one. They had lost the strong titles. They were left laying here, and I'm excited about this team of Coughlin and Kidd. I think it's the correct decision to put the strong titles on them. This is a team that can be over here in the United States. They're based out of the L.A. Dojo. Most of the strong shows are in the U.S. But this is a good heel tag team. They, they work well. They have the intensity. It's a very different presentation than the previous heavyweight tag team in Bullet Club, which for years was the, the uh, G.O.D., uh, Tamatanga and Tangaloa, uh, Gorillas of Destiny. It's a different presentation. Both teams are hard-hitting. Both teams are good wrestlers, but I think they have, Coughlin and Kidd, a little bit more of the angry intensity than the cool cats that Tamatanga and Tangaloa portrayed sometimes. These guys are just pissed, and uh, it comes across really well. I like it. I think there's going to be a lot of people who are going to have to walk back, if they are of that variety, their statements about David Finley three, two, one month ago, the vision for Bullet Club and what they have done with Bullet Club uh, since the New Japan Cup. This is great. This Bullet Club fucking rules. And I don't know how else to put it. Like, they're brutal. They're vicious. You got these four, like, war lieutenants of David Finley upon a larger bullet club that is going to be running wild all over the G1. And <laughs> I'm here for it. <laughs> I look forward to seeing what feud they're going to be setting up for the uh, Kid and Coughlin coming out, coming out of the G1. It's fun to see this because it has been a while since I was excited about things involving bullet club that weren't Jay white matches. Right. And, you know, even Kenta, has his moments, you know, Kenta has his moments, uh, and, and, but it, Jay White was the only thing in Bullet Club that really got me going. But now there are two tag teams here that I'm pretty amped up about. And that leads us to the next match, which was uh, for the 
IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Titles. Drilla Maloney and Clark Connors challenging Catch 2-2 from uh, the United Empire, TJP and Francesco Akira. This one went 15-36. It was better. Uh, and it was a little longer, and it was an even better match. It was another War Dogs jump start. Uh, there was another War Dogs beatdown. They're working hard to get these guys over. They're new, both sets of War Dog tag teams. Uh, the, the junior and the heavyweight versions are both relatively new. So they're getting a lot of offense and they're getting a lot of post-match beatdowns just to put over the idea that these guys are, uh, are monsters. And uh, yeah, they, they even fought into the crowd. There was a lot of that too, by the way. You got a close-up look at wrestlers if you were in Cork and Hall that day, no matter what section you were in. Uh, there was a they went all the way up into the orange seats. That's the the, the permanent uh, seats there, not the bleachers oh. where the cameras. And they went to throw TJP down the steps in the orange seats right there. And uh, Francesco Akira climbed the the uh, from above the steps and a little overhang there and dove onto the War Dogs to save him. That got a holy shit chant. Uh, this match went on. Okay, okay, got- okay, okay, okay. I got I got a pause here. Let's sell this okay. thing a little bit better. Yeah. So oh, you've me. got you've got Maloney and Connors, and you've got the camera angle of the camera behind the two guys, as you can hear them yelling, "Let's throw this mf'er down the stairs! Let's do it!" And so they're getting him set up, and you're going back, and so it's the stairway down with the archway above it, with the, yes. all of the audience seated around. It's mm-hmm. the typical setup for most stadiums. In about five seconds, they're getting ready to throw him. And you can see the angle. Akira, on the ground, climbs up and jumps and does almost a near blind uh, superfly splash on both of them, preventing them from throwing his partner down the stairs. I don't really know how to put it other than it was just a perfectly shot yeah it was nicely done it was nicely done and what's weird is corican hall is on the fifth floor of a building so what you're looking at there is they're basically the fifth and sixth and perhaps seventh floors of that office building which is just outside of the tokyo dome so what they're doing is you're actually kind of up in the sixth floor and then you go down a set of steps to the fifth which is what they were going to throw them down and that's where the ring is the ring is on the fifth floor at that level so that's it's kind of a weird uh, set up there in that in that building, but uh, yeah, that's that is true. And so it, they, it looked just really great. The highlight, it, the highlight spot of the match for me. Yeah, and uh, eventually they kept wrestling, and it, it was really good. They got this is awesome chant in English from the crowd there, and they don't do that at New Japan shows. You don't get this is awesome chants, uh, which I'm fine with. By the way, we don't need to start that in in Japan for the regular shows right there. We're okay. They they uh, knew it was a New Japan strong show, so they went. New Japan yeah. strong style. Yeah. And, and I'm okay. And I'm okay with that. And Akira was brilliant in the entire match. I feel like we say that every time he wrestles. Akira was really good. Uh, we should just have that on, on loop. But uh, right here. Akira ended up, yes, we'll get to that. Akira ended up pulling TJP away from an attempted gore. Maloney ended up goring Connors. Uh, things were looking good for the good guys for a second, but uh, Maloney ended up getting the Drilla Killa on Akira, which looks fantastic. Uh, and then they ended up putting a uh, suplex spear. So Maloney gets TJP up in a suplex position. And then uh, Connors climbs up to the top rope and spears him off and instead of just a regular suplex. It was just what it should have been, to be honest. This is exactly what this team needed to get over. TJP and Akira are already over. They don't need those belts to be an effective junior heavyweight tag team. And uh, terrific match. I enjoyed it. And as you can see here in this photograph where uh, 
Maloney and Connors are using the belts uh, the way Will Ospreay used the Canadian flag at uh, Forbidden Door. They're giving you the old, the old perineum push. And uh, they're disrespecting everything, including the titles they just won. And uh, it's, again, another effective Bull Club tag team right now. I just like that everybody has belts in Finley's Bullet Club right now, uh, all the lieutenants. I think that's a clear message about what they are doing with him. And uh, I just expect Finley to look really good in the G1 based off of all the uh, all the rocket fuel they put behind everyone that he has put you drafted we have some bullet club thoughts here we'll go through dunston williams uh joining us here says uh war dogs work so well but their leader feels so out of place i really think that this is a fair point that it's the the pressure's on finlay to fit in with these guys because i think they've been actually a little more effective at being intense heels than even finlay has so uh finlay's on the road we're on the road i'm gonna give him time watch out for finlay on the g1 that's all i gotta say yeah, but uh, it's it's a fair point. I mean, I think right yeah. now he's probably the least over the five at the moment, but he can take care of that. And I think he will. I think he's talented enough to. But it's it's not unfair to point out that these guys are probably a little bit on a, a nastier plane than he is at the moment. I will say it did him no favor to be completely absent during the Forbidden Door event this year mm. uh, because Jay White was able to have high-profile feuds with CM Punk, even though he wasn't on it. David Finley has been gone since Dominion. Uh, yeah. All you see are his fingerprints with his lieutenants. So that doesn't help. But I'm telling y'all, they are putting a rocket on this guy for the G1, and he is he is going to be in play to maybe the last couple of days. Colin has some thoughts here, too. I'm hoping Jay White Light, David Finley, <laughs> uh, disbands House of Torture, and they all just join his Bullet Club. Well, I think we'd all like to see House of Torture go away in its current form. And, or they turn show babyface again. I, I think that is coming someday. I don't know if it's near, but I do think the show is going to end up on, on a different uh, plane right there. I think he's a little bit too good for this. So he's certainly not just a little bit too. He's way too good to be doing all this uh, house of torture crap. But that's Ujiro. You know, that's that's for Ujiro. <laughs> Ujiro doesn't wrestle well. Sho can wrestle well. I, I hope that eventually they move him out of that and into a different place. And then uh, Jeff mentions they can beat up TJP all they want. I just don't like the guy. Yeah, he's divisive. He's a divisive dude. He is. And, uh, yeah, so there you go. Some thoughts on uh, the War Dogs and the Bullet Club faction. So, there we go. So, are we are we ready for what we saw next? We have the Doomsday, no disqualification, El Desperado and June Kasai facing John Moxley and Homicide. This went 18 minutes and 34 seconds. This was exactly what you thought it was going to be, but I have to say it was a well-worked version of this. I mean, yes. if you if you're going to do this, let's have it look a little bit more like this than some of the other deathmatch stuff this uh, was artistry like this was there was like there was thoughtfulness and planning and strategy behind this entire match i hated it and i loved it <laughs> and i hated that i loved it i don't want to watch this all the time but i was absolutely just entranced by this match um i'm gonna let you get into it but i'm just selling it now like i don't know what the hell happened in this match but i was in grossed the entire time. Well, gross is a good word for it in some cases, but there you go. Uh, but you had June Kasai, who 
knows how to time things and work instead of just doing stuff. Uh, so that helped. Moxley's an outstanding brawler. That helped. Homicide's willing to do anything. That helps. And Desperado seems to have some sort of uh, death wish in a match here where he just wants to go and do these wackadoo things. And uh, all that helped. So everybody was in the right mental place for this. And uh, the crowd was insanely excited for Jin Kasai. When his music hit, there was almost this feeling like the crowd wasn't sure it was really going to happen until it happened. It's like when his music actually hit and Jun Kasai actually came out, all these fans were like, we're really going to see this dude in a New Japan ring. Never thought I would. And a month ago, I would have told you that I didn't think we'd see Jun right. Kasai in a ring. Uh, <laughs> I was but like, anybody... uh, yeah, based off everything I've ever seen, I don't see that happening. <laughs> but he, he does this type of thing fairly well. And uh, it, it's not just a matter of, long, long setup spots with weapons while the guy who's about to take the move watches the guy set everything up. You know, it's, this was actually a wrestling match, too, that had a lot of batshit stuff in it. So here we go. They fought all through the crowd, needless to say. that I tell you what, if there was a time to meet a wrestler, it was these last two days in Corican Hall because someone was going to land in your lap at some point. He yeah, took out a <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, he took a butcher knife, uh, Kasai did, and uh, he used it on both of his opponents' heads. Now, the way he did the butcher knife, I have to say, he was careful with it. It was one of those, you know, the actual, you know, butcher knife, so very long thing, and uh, he kind of set the flat part against their forehead while they carefully bladed underneath it. So, I think that was uh, well done anyway on that end. Uh, let's see. Uh, he brought out a board of forks. I like 12 by 18 by 24 platform just with forks standing straight up. Board of forks. I, I guess now that uh, Bed Bath and Beyond's out of business, maybe you can buy those there. I don't know. The clearance sales. I don't know where you get a board a bed of forks. But you, you don't know what's on the bottom four floor at Cork and Hall, man. That's you know, a good point. You could have gone downstairs. That's <laughs> a good point. Cork and Hall's seen some crazy stuff because everybody runs there. So I mean, there there's video of guys getting their literally headset on fire. I, I remember that from when I was tape trading and things. That was in Cork and Hall. There've been barbed wire bat matches from FMW and Wing and all those really crazy promotions in the nineties. I've seen so. a hand full of gcw matches and this is better than any gcw match i've ever seen in my life and there that is go. the closest comparison to like what i saw in this match yeah the less nick gauge the better in just life period <laughs> so uh, and just, that goes that that goes for more than just wrestling by the way. uh let's see but here's here was my favorite part jeremy i don't know if you noticed this uh maybe uh, <laughs> jeff mentioned the board of force from when julia took that last year yeah she's nuts too so she's she's <laughs> She's nuts too. Love her. She's nuts. Uh, this I love how this is a no DQ match with knives and <laughs> deadly weapons and boards. And then at one point, randomly in the middle of the match, we started waiting for tags. What the shit was that? I'm like, why all of a sudden there was a there was a hot tag spot? I'm like, why are we tagging? Like, what the world? And then they just stopped. It was like a young bucks match. It's like, well, we're gonna tag, and then unless we don't want to tag, we're not gonna. How tag. come there are then, tags in a no DQ match? I don't know. Why are there tags in a young bucks match? They just jump in and out. I mean, like, like it doesn't matter. Like, well, sometimes it will. Sometimes quit it with the stray fire. Quit it with the stray fire here. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm I'm starting to wing some people on the end here. Uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, so okay. So anyway, that I thought that was funny, and just eventually yeah, it's yeah. like, oh wait, Jun Kasai is waiting for a hot tag now. Like what? <laughs> so, uh, so it, well, I had to wait to be the legal man so he could bring in his razor, bra razor blade cross. 
this was a set up a cross thing. So, and then the cross was so that he could set it up in the corner and its little arms would stick out and, and get between the top and middle ropes. So it would stay put because uh, I'm sure over uh, years of trial and error in these kind of matches, they, they kept folding up and falling over. So he came this up with like a final form across. death match in a lot of ways. So many people <laughs> have done death matches all their lives and they all come together to have like their dream death match together. <laughs> yes. So a razor blade cross. Well, as we know, following the uh, he who smelted dealt it corollary, if you set up this elaborate deadly thing, you're the one that's going to go into it. And uh, Kasai ended up taking the razor blade cross. Uh, he hit his signature splash. Uh, Kasai has a signature splash that actually looks pretty good. Uh, and then uh, Pinche Loco was hit on homicide, but Moxley broke that up. Uh, then <laughs> we brought out the wooden skewers. So these are all these little skewers you use when you're doing little barbecues and shish kebabs and things like that. And Kasai takes this thing and jams it into Moxley's head, pounds these things into the top of Moxley's head, and the guy has wooden skewers hanging out of the top of his head, including when he was doing the post-match interview, which I appreciated his dedication to this. He did his post-match interview uh, there. And then you had... So, uh, the, the the wooden skewers, we had two pinche locos on homicide, one of which ended up on a trash can. We didn't even bother to mention the trash can earlier. Uh, so I, this was an entertaining version of this type of thing. I'm after these two matches, I'm good with this now. I think we've done this. Yeah. I don't think we need to I do any more of this. I think my card is punched. My punch card is full on this one. <laughs> but you can't deny the weird, and I do mean weird, charisma that June Kasai it, has. It was fucking magnificent. I don't, like... You see these matches every once in a while, and like you don't want to admit that you're enjoying them. You don't want to like get gnarly and and just like take part in it. But this is pro wrestling. This is an aspect of it. This helps elevate the aura of all the people in it when they go back into a regular match. Uh, hell, it was a great match. Uh, just wait another year before you do another uh, Jukai match in New Japan pro wrestling. I, uh, I, I did this tweet. I, I hope go this ahead. will make you laugh when I do it. Uh, All right, go ahead. This is a tweet I sent out yesterday. Nope. <laughs> Who is that on the what in the world? That is, is that the Urukai from Lord of the Rings, the evil like <laughs> people just coming through. But I'm oh just looking God. at Jukai and I'm looking at like, what does that remind me of? And it's one of the uh, super bad guys in Lord of the Rings. Well, there you have it. All right, I'll have to take your word for that. <laughs> Oh man, Good I made it through the first half hour of The Hobbit. You'd have been proud of me, but that was as far as I got. Oh man, That's you got to watch the Lord of the Rings trilogy. The Hobbit's not where it's at at all. Yeah, Lord of the Rings. Uh, I get it. <laughs> Colin mentions the skewers in Moxley's head. Dang, yeah, oh, boy, and there were more of them to come. So we'll get to we'll get to that there. So uh, that was night one, entertaining night of wrestling, right there. Thumbs up. Get, Thumbs up. Yeah. We're going to get into night two. And uh, the first match was, uh, we'll mention these quickly here, Ryusuke Taguchi, Master Wato, and uh, Bolton Oleg, or Oleg Bolton, depending on you want the Japanese version of his name or the, the European version of his name. They faced Dragon Libre again, uh, Takahiro Katori again, and Rekka. Rekka instead of uh, of uh, Kengo. This is Rekka, another independent wrestler. So a little showcase there for a different guy. And uh, in the end, uh, Katori got his bunny back, but seems to still have a problem with uh, Taguchi. Maybe there's something leading to something where they meet on another show somewhere. I'm going to guess August 20th at Hiromu Takahashi's All-Star Festival. I think we're probably seeing a lot of these guys. They're Dragon Libres, but I think Dragon Libre actually has some potential there. There's there's something with that. He's pretty talented, dude. Very small, even for 
Japanese junior heavyweights. He's small, but uh, pretty good. And Wato ended up beating uh, Rekka in this one with uh, Resetamente. And uh, yeah, and on we go to the main show, which was supposed to be J.R. Kratos and Oscar Loibe. However, we already mentioned that that hematoma gave way on night one. So Kratos ended up sitting in on commentary for a little while, but did not wrestle this match against Loibe. Instead, Satoshi Kojima filled in. And so uh, that was just one where uh, he was filling in for a basic match where uh, Loibe got a little bit of shine in there. Again, a lot of fire from him mixed well with uh, Kojima's natural charisma. It was a nice little match. It was inevitable. Five minutes, 23 seconds, Kojima's going to pin Loibe with the Lariat. I think everybody in the building knew that. But again, these Young Lion matches are all about improvement, and we're definitely seeing that from Oscar. I'm just glad Kojima's getting a little bit of shine after a CM Punk match. All of a sudden, he's a little bit in the, uh, the conversation, a little bit in the awareness, and then, you know, when you need a replacement for J.R. Kratos, who do you get? Satoshi Kojima, and everybody's happy about it. That's great. That makes me so happy. Colin really liked Rekka in the dark match, but uh, he said Rekka's great. Uh, the, yeah, he, he looked good. He's, he has a good look to him, and he, he seemed to wrestle well, so wouldn't hurt my feelings if you were back at that uh, junior festival. I'll, I'd watch another match of his, for sure. I always, always enjoy seeing these guys get their shot, which we're going to talk about in regarding Fantastic Mania, something very satisfying happened at Fantastic Mania. So, uh, catch 2-2. Two, two. Uh, TJP and uh, <laughs> we're going to get to Jeff's comment here. Before we move on, it's too good. Jeff mentioned Kojima getting shine after hitting Punk down low. Boy, he did right there. He got the the elbow to the uh, to the to the cock region there. I think is what he tweeted. Uh, he has that technology. He doesn't have it. Uh, but yeah, that was the tweet of the week. So we go on to Rio Heo Iwa and Homicide against TJP and Francesco Akira. Of course, uh, Catch Twenty Two needing a win. Catch two two come uh, needing a win coming off of that title loss they got it here Oiwa of course took the fall uh, this was the wrestling version of Homicide and it wasn't too bad he got no. in there with uh, TJP and Akira of course he was part of that bloodbath main event on uh, night one instead here he was uh, more of a wrestler and uh, double running knees on Oiwa and it was just a way to get Catch twenty two two I keep calling Catch twenty two it's a really good book uh, Catch two two uh, <laughs> double running knees just to get him back on the up and up again. Uh, I did not know about Homicide and TJP's 20-year history with each other. That was kind of a nice moment after the match as well. Yeah, that is true. They, had to, they did have a little moment together right there where they yeah. uh, have been around. So, uh, yeah. And then after that, we had the IWGP new junior heavyweight tag team champions, Drilla Maloney and Clark Connors, facing uh, Yo and Rocky Romero. Now, before the match, Rocky who is the CMLL uh, historic welterweight champion uh, wearing his belt, got on the microphone and said, why don't we make this a title match? We're certainly worthy of it. I've held that title eight times. Yo's held it a bunch of times. And uh, the War Dogs weren't thrilled with that, but the office liked the idea, and it was made into a title match at the last second. So Bullet Club had a really nice high-low eliminator spot on Rocky. That looked pretty good. It's tough to get that timing down, but they did it well here. Yo did most of the selling in this one. There was a nice little slice bread off the ropes uh, by Rocky uh, while Yo was giving the guy a powerbomb. So picture him up there like that uh, in a powerbomb position and then taking a slice bread from Rocky. And uh, But eventually, uh, Connors and uh, Rocky did some near falls Yo accidentally super kicked Rocky in the chaos and then uh, took a no chaser from Connors. That led to a drill a killer from 
Maloney onto Rocky and then a spear off the ropes by Connors with Maloney holding him in that suplex spot again. And that ended up being the first defense. So one uh, night after winning the titles, Maloney and Connors can chalk up their first title defense against Yo and Rocky Romero. I thought it was a good showing by all combined. I didn't think it needed to be a title defense, but it certainly added to the excitement in the arena when they had the drama of, of creating it and strong showing by the uh, champs to defend and retain. Yeah, it's a good match. Uh, and then after that, we had another one uh, that was pretty good. And uh, you could see from the guys involved in this one, it was going to be fun. Lance Archer and Alex Zane facing the mighty don't kneel, bad dude Tito and Kosei Fujita. This one was just under 10 minutes, but also a lot of fun. As you can imagine, the drama here was Archer and Tito, the two big guys, big, powerful guys. And uh, But Zane and Fujita were really good in this match as well. They did the chokeslam moonsault move again. Uh, Tito caught Zane on a plancha, plancha to the outside. That looked terrific. Tito hit an exploder on Archer, so he's pretty strong. Uh, so a lot of power moves shown off here, of course. And uh, in the end, it came down to Zane hitting a guillotine leg drop on Fujita, who then walked into a lariat from Archer. So boom, boom, that was the win. Decent enough match. No problem with it at all. In fact, I thought Archer and Zane worked really well together both nights. And afterwards, Archer got on the microphone and said that Monster Sauce, because of course Alex Zane is the sauce, uh, Monster Sauce is now a team and will be back in New Japan. So that's set up as a possible future contenders for the War Dogs. Uh, I suppose they could be in the tag team tournament later in the year or just uh, show up on uh, strong, uh, since they're both kind of U.S. based guys, they could show up on strong and challenge uh, Coglin and Kid. I mean, there are a lot of ways that they could use Archer and Zane. And as an odd couple or odd size tag team, I think this could really, I think they could work. This is the best package for the two, given that they are not currently the focus of any promotion contention on their mm-hmm. own. So mm-hmm. I am, I am into that one. Uh, the other thing that I liked about the match, Fujita. Little sassy gets into the <laughs> ring at the beginning of the match. I want you, Lance Archer. And then by the end of the match, you know who pins Kosei Fujita? Lance Archer. <laughs> He's a plucky little guy, isn't he? He's a plucky yeah. little guy. Plucky guy with a beautiful high fade. Gotta, gotta love the high fade. <laughs> <laughs> he, re- he has really stood out. It's neat to see Loibe sort of take a step forward. I think he's in front of Oiwa and Nakajima now, uh, who are both good young lions right there, but Fujita has really stood out on his own there too. And, and uh, of course the TMDK thing has set him apart to begin with, but I think he's backed that up with his work in the ring. He's, he, he has justified their belief in him. Absolutely. Up next team filthy. We are fans of the filthy here on uh, speaking of strong style. These two shows did nothing to, uh, dissuade us from that. This was a lot of fun. Hiroshi Tanahashi, Toro. Not, well, it says here. Uh, oh, Waller makes me proud to be an American. Yeah. So we have Ishii Tanahashi in the DKC against Lawler, Jarrell Nelson, and Royce Isaacs. And if you thought Lawler was decked out in red, white, and blue on night one, wait till you see this. He showed up uh, in uh, a big, and Royce Isaacs came out in a total Uncle Sam outfit. I mean, it was way over the top, way, way, way over the uh, top. Fake eyebrows and a beard, uh, the cotton beard, the whole yes. deal. Uh, they continued the story in this match of Ishii not wanting to have anything to do with uh, Tanahashi. Yeah. Uh the only thing he did was congratulate him and pat him on the back like a proud dad when they won the match. 
and then he walked away. <laughs> yeah, didn't want a whole lot to do with that there. Uh, they did get the win when uh, Tanahashi rolled up Isaacs when he and Lawler had a miscommunication and collided. A small package by Tanahashi onto Isaacs for the win. Uh, you know, again, this is a thing where Nelson and Isaacs looked really good. Isaacs got the DKC up in a suplex and walked all the way around the ring, did a complete run, uh, revolution of the ring there. Uh, that looked good. There were When they did the filthy pose after beating down, uh, I think it was DKC, they all did their little poses, and it broke out into USA chant, which I really got a kick out of. The crowd was being uh, had a real sense of humor there. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it, good stuff. I, I liked it. Uh, but uh, that was a win for Tanahashi, Ishii, and DKC. Uh, but uh, a good showing for Team Filthy. I just enjoyed everything about this match. As we were saying earlier, DKC has increased the leaps and bounds, and he definitely felt like he belonged in this match. Uh, Jeff mentions that we need more Tom Waller and Shuri as a tag team. Yes, absolutely. I, I'm hoping that we see a little bit of that in a historic crossover and things, some of those mixed tags, uh, when they do historic crossover again, which I'm hoping they do. Uh, and then he asks, is Archer working for uh, more for NJPW now? I haven't seen him often on AEW. Been a point of contention, man. I don't. I don't know why he had a he had a more. torn tricep. He did or have torn yeah. bicep up until recently, and it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of room for him when they're trying to put focus on guys like Miro and Andrade coming back right now and Powerhouse Hobbs. He is a very large man with a very large presence, and there are other people taking up those spots. So it just seemed like new Japan could make a lot more use of his value and role. And uh, all parties agreed. And Colin says, yeah, Archer needs to permanently be with NJPW. Well, uh, you know, he's, he did say specifically that he was coming back and coming back with Zane. So it does seem like he's going to be part of the NJPW picture. He's just not G1. So there's no plan to use him anytime soon, but come September all the way through December, we might be seeing Archer all over the place. Yeah, and maybe in World Tag League or something like that. Yeah. So uh, next up, the NJPW Strong Women's Championship. Willow Nightingale, the champion going in against Julia. Crowd was really split for this one. There were the Stardom fans out there cheering for Julia. Uh, there were uh, a couple of awkward moments during this one. They got a little bit lost while trying to get the pounce spot right. I don't know if that was a language barrier thing or just missed calls. And they weren't really used to... Uh, weren't really used to each other, but once they did hit it, uh, she bounced Julia across the ring uh, very nicely. Uh, cannonball and a Spicoli driver for near fall by Willow. Uh, this one went 1329. It was it once they got some of those little awkward miscommunications out of the way, it started to flow a lot better. Willow missed a moonsault that looked fantastic. I mean, she had a moonsault just graceful as anything, and uh, Julia got out of the way of it, which gave her a chance to get back on offense, some really hard slaps back and forth from both of those. They really connected hard on those shots. So that ended added an air of authenticity to the whole thing. There was a butterfly suplex from the top by Julia onto Willow, which was very impressive. Uh, so uh, she's been doing her squats for sure. And because uh, that is a, that is that's a difficult move to do under any circumstances with the balance right there. But with that Julia size, is a strong woman. She's a very strong woman, and 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 Willow took it very well, too. She yep. knew exactly how to kind of help her out, so it was very impressive. As things came down to it, there was a big knee strike from Julia that led to the Northern Lights bomb, and she got the win. Again, this is kind of a course correction. Uh, Willow, we, we love Willow, but she was never supposed to have this title. If Mercedes Monet had not injured herself during their match, Monet was going to be winning it, and it looked like the idea was to go with Monet defending against Julia. 
But with that out of the way, and we're not sure when Manet is going to be able to come back, they decided to go around the back door to get to Julia versus Manet and put uh, the title on Julia. Again, Willow Nightingale was never really supposed to be an NJPW strong women's champion. Nothing wrong with her, but they wanted to go with somebody with a little more name recognition in Japan. And uh, what is undoubtedly a, a wonderful matchup for Manet once she's healthy enough to do it. So Julia as a champion here, I think is the right move. I uh, I just think about it, and I'm I'm very impressed with the way Willow carried herself and yeah. uh, what she was able to do with that title, despite you know not really feeling like everyone was 100 behind her in the booking decision, but they were going to make sure that the title looked strong enough the entire time. All that being said, the idea that Julia is going to have at least two matches in New Japan Pro Wrestling, mm-hmm. a match before Mercedes and then Mercedes Monet is a very exciting time. She'll be carrying that strong title presumably around in stardom. That'll be interesting, whether mm-hmm. you're going to be seeing her carry that title around uh, yeah. over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I presume that they will because of the cooperation between the companies, but you never know. Well, you know, Mayu Iwatani um, is the IWGP women's champion and the belt only makes occasional appearances. So. Interesting. Yeah, and most of the house shows she doesn't carry it with her. But uh, so, yeah, the yeah, Colin uh, mentioned the pouncing star. Is awesome. Yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> not not telling you anything you don't already know. <laughs> yeah, Julia is Julia's one of the best. And uh, Jeff says Willow carried it well and did the best she could with it. Yep, sure did. I mean, you know, when... days ahead for it. Willow's still young, and there is there is plenty of time for her to be strapped to the rocket. But I'm going to pump the brakes a little bit because when you were in a match with Julia it was clear the faults that she had and that there were things that she could learn and that we don't need to uh, be too disappointed because she was going to match with Julia. I know she learned a lot in this match. She is going to come back and she is going to be a better wrestler like everybody else that goes to Japan and comes back. This is nothing but great things for Willow that she had this opportunity. Colin mentions Tony Khan needs to book Willow properly after this. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody agrees. I, I don't know anyone that says, ah, Willow's not that good. I, it may be some internet troll that doesn't count, but I mean, anybody that knows anything agrees. Just right now, it, it might not be her time. Maybe, you know, Tony has his plans. Maybe he has plans for Willow down, down the way. I'm hoping because I really agree with with uh, the thought that Willow needs to be pushed uh, harder on AEW TV. And uh, she did have the strong belt at every show. Yeah. And uh, Jeff also mentions that Mayu uh, may have just forgot the belt at home. That's possible. It's Mayu. Uh, we love her. She's, uh, you know, she has her little uh, flighty moments that uh, makes her even more endearing. So <laughs> we had after that, the other tag team title match. Oh, and one more. Okay. One more thing from Jeff here before we move on here. And uh, also uh, Willow, didn't look lost and confused out there with a George fan. She would fit right 100%. into this spot. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. No doubt about it. And, uh, you know, there were a couple of odd moments, but they never wrestled each other before. So there you go. Uh, yeah. The oh, uh, fire match next. <laughs> These guys came out with cool. something to prove. <laughs> it, again, it was a quicker one. Uh, it was even faster. It was even faster than the last one. Yeah, I think so. 11 minutes and 29 seconds here. So this was uh, versus Gabe Kidd, Alex Coughlin, night two for the IWGP tag titles. Last night was the strong titles. And uh, I'll let you take it from there. Goto and Yoshihashi learned from their mistakes. They were ready for the jump start this time. So when Coughlin and Kidd rushed them in the aisle, they uh, ended up on the wrong end of that. Uh, both Goto and Yoshihashi struck first and struck hard. Had the advantage early and uh, fought in the crowd a little bit more. Uh, this was, again, another hard-hitting, fast-paced match. These teams are really meshing well together very quickly. 
and really enjoyed it. Uh, very similar in structure where it was Yoshihashi taking the beating and uh, War Dogs on top for a lot of it with some mini comebacks. And it all led to, once again, the double muscle buster on Yoshihashi. Uh, but this time, the hijack pile driver was countered. And uh, they were able to rally again. Uh, Ushigoroshi onto Alex Coughlin while landing on Kid, which had to be a little scary for Kid to watch this guy coming down because he's not going to land flat because he's taking an Ushigoroshi. He's landing on Goto's knee and then splattering onto him. And that all led to the Shoto on Gabriel Kid for the win. So with that, the titles are split, which is the correct decision. Uh, they don't really need double champs. Uh, and they have a more American-based tag team with strong titles. You have Bishimon holding on to the IWGP heavyweight tag team titles. I, I think it was the right decision. I thought both matches were well executed and entertaining. So, uh, again, no complaints about how the tag team titles were handled for me. It's exactly how I would have done it if I were in charge. I uh, I really enjoyed this match. For whatever reason, I felt like Gabe Kidd was the star of this match. He, every time he was front and center in this match, he was selling hard. He was he was laying in, laying in the moves, the the chops, everything that he was doing. For whatever reason, like he stood out to me, and I just wanted to throw that out there. Even though the match in general was just fun, I don't know. It was like when you have all these other matches that are bloody and barbed wire and all the stipulations. Sometimes you just want to have a good old fashioned tag team championship match, and this this was that. And I and I it was a breath of fresh air after all the other stuff that I had watched. And it was, I mean, it was fun. And, you know, there is a, there was a little bit of doubt in my mind. I felt like they were going to split the titles and that that mm -hmm. was the point of all this. Otherwise you would just have both belts up in the same match. Right. I mean, so you felt like they were going to split it. There was a little bit of doubt in my head, tiny bit uh, creeping in just because the tag team titles basically go on ice for a while because both of the guys that are champions are going into the G1 and mm -hmm. won't be defending them. So there's a little bit of doubt that maybe they would take both of them and really put over War Dogs right there. But in the end, this was the way to go. You know, you just end up I think they just out. wanted to make sure as many people going to the G1 that could have a belt and wear a belt going into their matches that they, they would Tur do that. And, a and tournament of champions. Tournament of champions. So we go on to another title match. Uh, and th this is the final title match of the two shows. It was another pretty good one here. Eddie Kingston challenging Kenta for the strong open weight title. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking at my notes here on this one, and I'm just enjoying Eddie's performance so much, you know, in this one. He, once again, you re recognize what this meant to him, and he put over what it meant to him in uh, the interviews there. Uh, but what they did, so they did something clever. Of course, the spinning back fist is his big move. He knocked out Ghetto with it the night before, got the win. So they had him go for that back fist and smack the ring post. And then a lot of that match was Kenta working the hand to try to take away that spinning back fist. It's a smart thing to do, I think. And, a, and Kenta is a good enough worker that he had a lot of ways to work that hand. And a lot of selling by Eddie earlier. Uh, and then there was a ref bump which kind of made everybody groan a little bit. It's like, oh, we're going to get this house of <laughs> Here torture. Here we go again. <laughs> so Kenta got the, the strong title belt, and, and Kingston sees him and knees him on the charge. So he goes to hit him with it, but he knees Kenta, grabs the belt. He's going to hit Kenta with the belt. He has second thoughts. No, I'm not going to do it. He goes to hand it back, which takes a really long time because everyone just kind of not me, not me it uh, when he wanted to hand it back to somebody. Usually somebody's right there, but it's because they needed time. Kenta was grabbing his Defy championship belt. He's the champion of Defy as well. 
brings that in and he clobbers Eddie with it. So they tease the screw job finish right there, but Eddie kicked out. Uh, he also kicked out of the double stomps for two. Uh, Kenta went for the GTS, but Eddie got the stretch plum out of that. And you know, that meant something to Eddie because Eddie's, uh, his singlet that he wears under his pants right there is, uh, Toshiaki Kawada colors. Eddie's favorite wrestling of all time. Uh, just like me is the King's road, all Japan stuff. The, the four pillars, Muta, uh, excuse me, not Muta. That's the new Japan guy, Misawa, uh, Kawada, Tawei and Kobashi, that that group from all Japan. Uh, they were going on at the same time as the New Japan uh, Three Musketeers there uh, in the mid-90s, hotter than anything. And that was Eddie's favorite stuff. So he's doing Kawada's stretch plum finisher there in Corican Hall for a championship. So, you know, he was loving life at that point. That was about the 10-minute mark. Crowd was chanting, Eddie, Eddie. Uh, there were uh, two back fists he did, despite the pain, and he sold that like he was hurting himself doing it. It uh, wasn't a Seth Rollins thing where you imagine we forget you're hurt until afterwards, and then you start limping again, for instance. Uh, and then there were some near falls there. Uh, Kingston uh, got some kicks to the head, uh, and Kenta just flips him off, and he takes one more back fist, and uh, then uh, he hits the Northern Lights bomb, which had finished the, the Julia match, finishes this one, the Northern Lights bomb again. We have a new champion, Eddie's emotional afterwards, and uh, just a beautiful moment, man. Just a good performance by everyone involved. I really enjoyed this. This felt like Eddie's big win when Eddie feels like the perennial loser, like, all the time. Yeah. And so doing it on Japan or in Japan on a pay-per-view still saves that moment for a number of people who are not going to be watching this show until September when he might not even have the strong title by that point. But... uh this was great, man. He, I always root for Eddie, but I never believe Eddie's gonna win just by the way that he's <laughs> yeah. positioned and just, just the, just reasons. I, I don't really know other way to put it. Just Eddie, Eddie's not the guy that they're like, we're building around you. And mm -hmm. so when they do, it's gratifying. Uh, I will say, him winning the strong title kind of says to me that he's not making out out of bracket play in the C block of the oh, G1, no. but uh, but it's going to be fun. They're going to set up a feud. We can, we can look at the C block and figure out what guy you're going to be feuding with and strong after all that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's fine. I mean, I, I do think Eddie will be mathematically in it until very late, but yeah, Absolutely. I don't think he's making the playoffs, so to speak. And I, Jeff mentioned something earlier in the show that I didn't want to bring up on screen until now because uh, I just wanted to time this with this match, but he said he got to talk with Eddie backstage in the AEW show. All he did was talk about 80 and 90s Japanese wrestling. The dude's so cool. He is a big wrestling nerd, and he got to, uh, to live out a lot of it. I remember how I felt just attending a show at Corican Hall when I got to do it. The The place bleeds that history, just like a lot of guys have bled all over Corican Hall. But you feel all of it. I mean, you realize that I'm in the same building where – everyone in the world, Baba, Enoki, Terry, Funk, all, uh, you know, everybody, Abdul the Butcher, name them, name them. They've all the been The weight there. The four, of the history. The four pillars, three musketeers, everybody. It all yeah. coalesces into that moment. And yeah. it was a very special moment. And I think people are going to remember it for a long time. Not unlike the microphone moment of John Moxley in the main event, because <laughs> that one actually got to me a lot. Uh, yeah, and... And then there was homicide hugging Eddie after the match broke him. Yeah, that you again, homicide knows what it means to him too. So it Absolutely. was, uh, you know, he got to win a title there at Corican. So, yes, we move on to final death. 
which was the main event of night two, John Moxley, El Desperado, and uh, deathmatch uh, stuff here. Uh, I wrote down a lot of things, uh, but uh, I'll try to get through it as quickly as possible. There were uh, three failed table spots. Apparently, they were. You got to remember, you're using Japanese tables, not the not the cheap Walmart ones, because they set these tables up. John Moxley three different times tried to break this table by jumping or either throwing Desperado onto the table or jumping onto Desperado from the ble the bleachers, the hard camera bleachers, uh, the side you see from the hard camera. Uh, goes crashing down. The table was much tougher, however, than they had given it credit for. Never did quite break the thing the way they wanted to. Uh, they got uh, barbed wire boards were set up in the corners to begin with in the first place. So uh, we knew those were coming. Those were uh, Chekhov's barbed wire boards. Uh, once Despe got into that, he got the holy shit chant. Uh, there was a long Desperado torture segment, I called it, because he just sold and sold. And there are, uh, you know, forks, uh, forks being jammed in his eye, in his ear, in his eye. And uh, yeah, that went on a long time. So <laughs> what felt like a really long time. This match was 20 minutes and 33 seconds. Uh, he took a guitar over a head. His guitar. He smashed the guitar. By God, uh, Jeff Jarrett would have been would have been proud. Uh, let's see what else here. Uh, he reversed a Mox whip into the barbed wire board, uh, and then he put the board on top of Moxley and Desperado. Smashed the back of the board with the chair, so it was smashing the barbed wire. I'm sure Renee loved that spot. Uh, let's see. Uh, Desperado. This was twenty minutes of pure carnage. Let's make Desperado, that clear. <laughs> Desperado hit the Junkasai splash for a good two count. Uh, and he put uh, the barbed wire board on a table. Uh, that was going to go well for uh, somebody. And it turned out to be both of them. They they fought and teased the idea of who was going to be falling into this oh table God. with a barbed wire board. Turned out both of them because it was a Russian Boiler leg sweep alert. where Desperado, uh, Desperado sacrificed himself to do a Russian leg sweep. And they both went through it. Uh, let's see. He they countered bent. a suplex into the Russian leg sweep because if you're going, you're going with me. <laughs> he, they wrapped barbed wire around their own fists and uh. punched each other in the middle of the ring. Hey, hey, hey. Uh, here's here's the part where it uh, kind of took a turn. Nah, no, nah, this thing never took a turn. This was just a weird moment for me, anyway. Uh, Desperado uh, <laughs> said, "Hold on a second, please." And Mox did. Because, you know, he's a polite young man. Uh, he pulls out a little uh, Crown Royal bag looking thing, uh, a little velvet bag. And as he pulls it out, and it's skewers. It's more skewers. Now, Desperado is not a selfish man. He takes half the skewers and hands them to Moxley. I guess this is supposed to be like a Bushido thing. Like, we're going to see who's toughest. So they each take a handful of the skewers. Then they each jam them into each other's skull. And uh, at this point, I was just about just you know, about to hit that fast forward button. <laughs> so this close. <laughs> Uh, this close to doing it, but as it turned out, we were almost done. Uh, Mox got a bulldog choke, which was the finish of their match in Nashville. So they did a callback to that and another uh, strong show where they uh, got a little pretty medieval on each other right there. Uh, Tease that as the finish, but Desperado ended up getting a pinche loco for two. Uh, let's see, a butter butterfly pile driver by Desperado. Uh, Mox countered pinche loco attempt into a death rider and only got two. Desperado kicked out of a death rider. Ian Riccoboni was on the call with Chris Charlton and rightly pointed out that that is a, uh, without using the word, that is a heavily protected move. Very few people kick out of a death rider. Uh, it's happened before, but it, there's not a long list. And uh, that was a, a little nod to respect uh, of Desperado. And uh, there was a, a curb stomp a lariat and another death rider for the three count 
And uh, afterwards on the microphone, though, uh, Moxley showed a lot of respect to Desperado, Cork and Hall as a uh, meaningful place for professional wrestling. June Kasai. Again, a lot of heartfelt emotions coming from some of the guys on this show, Jeremy. Yeah, he, he made it clear that him being able to work in Japan uh, when he left WWE four years ago and he will always be thankful for the New Japan crowd because he he was able to become a different person and he wasn't sure that that was going to happen and it changed everything for him. So he expressed a lifetime of gratitude for New Japan Pro Wrestling, making it abundantly clear that this guy wasn't going anywhere for a good long time. He may not be on the Wrestle Kingdom, but he will be on all the other show kind of thing. Like, if he can be there, this guy will be there. He is a, he is a New Japan man for life, and that's what he made clear tonight. Overall, two pretty darn entertaining nights of wrestling. Absolutely. These were two fun cards to watch. Well worth the money, I'd say. It, it ends up coming with the exchange rate about $30, $31 for uh, two really good nights of wrestling. I enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, there have been a couple of strong pay-per-views where I just thought, hmm, would I pay 30 bucks for this one uh, again? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. This one's definitely yes. I would do If this you don't want to pay for it, it will become available on World on September 11th, 2023. So if you have the patience to for your blood matches, <laughs> I applaud you. Uh, Jeff mentions they were channeling their ter inner Terry Funk and Cactus Jack moment, minus the exploding C4 barbed wire boards. Yes, I think that's uh, the the uh, big part of the inspiration for everybody that does these death matches for the uh, the old IWA death match tournament that the Terry and, and Cactus, that was way back in the day, 94, 94 something like that. Anyway, uh, moving on from this, a couple of news and notes we wanted to get to. Of course, some of the crew was in Mexico for Fantastica Mania. And I wanted to mention what happened out there very briefly. Uh, and it was, uh, they started off in, uh, let's see where they started off. They started off in, well, I believe it was Guadalajara, wasn't it? Guadalajara. Yes. Guadalajara was the first night of Fantastica Mania there. Uh, and in this one, there was uh, Doki's CMLL debut. All those years, he worked the independence in Mexico and tried out for CMLL and could never quite get the call to go work for uh, the big company there. Uh, Doki finally got to work CMLL and he, uh, and this has had to be a huge moment for him. Uh, they've several different guys have talked about how much respect they have for Doki for sticking it out in the Mexican independent scene, which is really hard. And uh, he finally got to be a CMLL uh, wrestler here for a while. He uh, Desperado and Hechicero uh, defeated Doki and El Templario in a match and Guadalajara just underneath the uh, Tiger Mask, Star Jr. and Volador Jr. Uh, getting a win over Bushi, Tetsuya Naito, and Titan as part of the LIJ faction there. And then they moved on to Arena Mexico on the 30th. That was Friday the 30th at Arena Mexico. Hopefully they drop this on their YouTube page. Uh, they usually do it about three weeks out, and they don't show the whole show. So hopefully we get to see some of this stuff. Uh, let's see, Mascarada Dorada 2.0 defeated El Desperado. Uh, in a lightning match, El Satanico, who was in his 70s, against Tiger Mask, went to a 10-minute draw in a, 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 a relampago match, which is a lightning match, 10-minute time limit match. But they went all the way to that. 
And then uh, Doki Tim teamed with uh, Shigego Okamura, who comes in for Fantastic Mania. He was a guy that went on an excursion and never came back, basically. Uh, and they defeated El Audaz and uh, Captain Suicida. So Doki got to make his Arena Mexico debut final. Yay on, for uh, Doki! Martin. Yeah. And then uh, the LIJ faction, Bushi, Naito, and Titan defeated Atlantis Jr., Mistico, and El Soberano. And in the main event, our own Rocky Romero successfully defended his historic welterweight title against Volador Jr. It's a bit of a surprise, Jeremy. I think a lot of people thought that that match was all to set up Volador winning it back. And But it turns out CMLL was enjoying this run of Rocky Romero so much. It's going to continue on for a while. Might have something to do with the announced attendance of 16,000 in Arena Mexico. The golden age of Rocky Romero continues. The man has taken yeah. over the world. <laughs> but how about that? I mean, this run's That's going fantastic. so well, they decided to leave it on him. I thought... I I, I wasn't expecting that. Fantastic Mania, Ray Supreme. <laughs> At Arena Coliseo the next night, which is also in a different part of Mexico City. Mexico City is a monstrous city. It's just so big. Uh, Doki teamed with uh, Zandokan Jr. and Disfunto, and uh, they got a win over Esfange, uh, Star Black, and Volcano. And uh, the Bushi, Naito, Titan group defeated Los Ingobernables. So there's Los Ingobernables de Japón versus Los Ingobernables in Mexico. Uh, Angel de Oro, Niebla Roja, and Damien El Terrible. So the uh, Japanese group got the win in that one. And uh, we also saw uh, Barbaro Cavanario, El Desperado, and Volador Jr. getting a win over Mascarada Dorada, 2.0, Mistico, and Rocky Romero in the main event there. The last night of that tour was in Arena Mexico again. They were back in Arena Mexico on Sunday. They run Arena Mexico three nights a week, uh, Friday, Sunday, and Tuesday, with the big shows being Friday. Uh, and uh, this one was El Desperado and Hechicero defeating Doki and El Templario. And then they had Star Jr., Tiger Mask number 4, and Volador Jr. getting a win over Bushi, Teton, and Naito. So that was what happened in Fantastic Mania. So everyone said... Call you to- Caliber. Yeah. You recap that in no time. <laughs> Woo, man. And uh, we have just enough time to mention that uh, Yuji Nagata at Corican Hall on July 2nd uh, lost his uh, Triple Crown title to Yuma Aoyagi, who challenged him at, the, uh, at that last show there, the Blue Justice show. Yuma Aoyagi taking the triple crown from Yuji Nagata. So, uh, and also El Lindemann from Gleet, who we've seen on uh, New Japan shows before. He took the junior title from Atsuki Aoyagi. So it was, uh, it was a mixed bag for the Aoyagi family there. But uh, El Lindemann and uh, Yuma Aoyagi taking those belts in nice. Corkin. I got one more thing myself. Go ahead. Uh, you may know that the original Three Musketeers were... Porthos, Athos, and Aramis, but the original Three Musketeers of uh, in the New Japan Pro Wrestling Dojo of 1984 was Masahiro Chono, Shinya Hashimoto, and Keiji Muto. Right. But in 2023, we have a new set of Three Musketeers, much to the chagrin of the Three Musketeers themselves, Shura Umino, Ren Narita, and Yoda Suji. They have been labeled by the company of New Japan Pro Wrestling as the Three Musketeers. The Reiwa Three Musketeers, the Three Musketeers of 2023, in which they are expected to carry the burden and shoulder the weight of leading New Japan Pro Wrestling into the future. They don't like giving this label. Getting these labels mean extra attention and extra work to get and accomplish your goals. But these three are the future. And the company is correct in naming them so. 
There you go. And one last note here from Jeff. He brings up the fact that today is Husky's ninth anniversary of being a pro wrestler, one of the better uh, workers in stardom who retired for a while and uh, thankfully came back because uh, I, I love her work and ninth anniversary of being a pro wrestler. So happy anniversary to her. I hope we get to see her on some of these New Japan strong or historic crossover cards because Husky's a, a wonderful worker on that end. So ninth anniversary. Congratulations. Anything so else will, for you, Jeremy? We'll be back live for a special episode on or about the finals of the G1. Otherwise, please look for us in the audio section of the Fight Game Media feed, the free feed, where you search in all major podcast catchers. And thank you again to all of our live watchers for following us every week when we were doing this uh, in this format. And I hope you are there to support us in the future. Yeah, like I said, we're going to be keeping, we're going to keep doing this show the way we've been doing it. We're going to try to get everything in a nice tight 90-ish minutes right there. So you don't have to spend all day listening to it. Uh, but we're going to try to get all the news and all the notes and all the analysis in just like we have been. It's uh, just uh, going over to that Fight Game Media feed there and being the Thursday show on that. It's exciting for us. We're, and we'll be excited. recording the same way. So you'll get these video clips of us laughing and smiling and, you know, the face and the brains over here. Uh, I still have to put a shirt on to do the show. Damn it! Sometime, all. sometime, sometime. <laughs> but it's been it's been a blast doing this live. We will be live with you again, and I uh, hope you're there with us when we do. Yeah, absolutely. And so, uh, with that in mind, we are going to uh, sign off for this week for Jeremy Finestone. I'm Stephen Conway. Thanks for listening and watching. Speaking of strong style, and we'll talk to you again very soon.